squared away here. Thank you, Dan. We've been going through the book of Luke, but if you would, I'd like to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 6 today. I'd like to do something a little different in light of the fact that we've had a lot of things going on in our body over the last six months or more. Um, We've added Jackson to our staff as well as Mark and Jackson to our elder team. Um, We have a new church that will be um, coming by today to look at our facility and get acclimated and they'll be starting um, their services here on Sunday nights next Sunday. Um, We started um, looking at biblical counseling at 9 o'clock with the goal of trying to equip ourselves better to um, counsel in various settings and in various ways. And we've also kicked off small groups being led by the elders and encouraging people to be involved. And what I'd like to do is use... Uh, what Paul says for us here in Galatians 6 to help you uh, see how we look at those events from a biblical perspective and hopefully to encourage us in light of that. So let me read for us uh, Galatians chapter 6 and then we'll go from there. Paul says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised, so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. This is the word of God. When I was in college, I worked at a golf shop. And this week I was thinking about the fact that there are some basics that you need to play golf. You need a golf ball and you need some golf clubs and you need a golf course, typically, to play golf. But what if you were to go to a nearby 
high school and see someone out on the football field, and they had an umbrella and a basketball. And you walked up to them and said, what are you doing? And they were to say, I'm playing golf. And you see them swing the umbrella and hit the basketball and try to get it up high enough to go through the goalposts. And you think, well, you know, there are some real similarities between what they're doing and what golf is all about and how to play golf. And yet there are some real differences too. I thought about that in terms of the basics of the truth of the gospel and how important they are when we think about the externals of religion or the externals of Christianity. Because we can go through the motions of you know, swinging something that looks like a golf club and hitting something that's a ball-like thing and trying to get it to go someplace. And yet, still, in going through the motions, we're really not doing what we say we're, we're doing. And so the truth behind what we gather to do is so very important, which is another way of saying the heart behind what we do is so crucial to whether or not we're really playing golf are just doing something similar to playing golf, to really living the Christian life or doing something similar to living the Christian life. And so I wanted to start today by just reminding us of some basics that I hope will help you see why I've picked this uh, passage to look at this morning. There are a lot of things we can say, and this isn't the only way to express a lot of these things that I'm going to highlight, but ultimately, when it comes right down to it, God has created us to find our happiness in him and in his love for us. Um, It's been said a lot of other ways that we've been uh, created to glorify and enjoy God. Um, But it is no doubt that there are verses like what we find in Isaiah 52, which says how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. And so... Happiness in God in the Bible is typically called joy, but there are certain places where they actually use the word happiness. And that's why I use the word happiness here, is that ultimately God created us not to find our happiness in our circumstances or find our happiness in this created world, but to find our happiness in him and his love for us. That's why we sing so much about the love of God, because that is really where we find true, full, and lasting happiness. The problem is, from the very beginning, starting with Adam and Eve, we've rebelled against God and his love, and therefore we can't enjoy his love and enjoy him unless we're reconciled to him. And that's why Jesus came, to be a savior for sinners. That's so important to understand because we have other gospels being preached, like the health and wealth gospel, who says that Jesus is here to make you healthy and wealthy. Well, that's not the true Jesus. The true Jesus came to rescue you from sin so that you could be happy in God, not happy in wealth or even happy in health. The good news is if we really want to be free from sin, we can be. If we really want to be free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin over our lives, Jesus is an able and willing Savior for us, and he calls us to turn from our sin and turn to God and trust in him and him alone. The him alone is very important in light of Galatians, because in Galatians, what was happening, people were coming in and saying, you know what, 
It's not just Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's plus Jesus, Jesus plus certain aspects of Judaism. You have to be circumcised. And Paul says, you know what? If you get circumcised, you will fall from grace, which means you will not be able to be saved by the grace that is in Christ because you're depending on something you do rather than depending on what he has done for us. But if we see our sin, we confess our sin, we want to be delivered from sin, then Jesus says, trust in me and me alone, and you will be saved. And that is great and wonderful good news. And in living our Christian life, God calls us to trust his promises and love as he commands. That he's promised us great and wonderful things. And that he's told us to do impossible things. But he says, if you trust me and look to me, I will enable you to do the very things that I call you to do. And you can kind of summarize the Christian life in terms of communion, which is fellowship with God and uh, privately and publicly. What we're doing right now is public communion with God. That's what worship is, or at least that's what worship is intended to be. So we're set apart for communion, for community, loving one another, living with one another, sharing our gifts with one another as we seek to grow in love for God and love for others, and compassion. That certainly includes compassion for each other, but also compassion for a lost world and a needy world. Well, I'll share all that very briefly to say you want to make sure you connect the first thing on the list there, finding your happiness in God's love, and what is at the bottom, living for community because that's what is going on in Galatians chapter 6 Paul is talking about community or how we're to function in the body of Christ now he doesn't say everything that could be said but I do want to focus on what he does say with regard to that and I want us to make the connection between pursuing God and our happiness in God with what he calls us to do in this chapter And so that's why I wanted to remind us just very briefly of the basics. Now, again, uh, it's very interesting when you think about the context in which he's saying this. He's talking to churches in Galatia that are being tempted to embrace another gospel that says you have to trust in Jesus and be circumcised. And Calvin makes a comment about that, about what they call the Judaizers who are preaching this way. He said, a dread of the cross led them to corrupt the true preaching of the cross. A dread of the cross led them to corrupt the preaching of the cross. What he was saying was, you get persecuted if you preach Jesus alone. So, they said, let's not just preach Jesus alone, let's preach Jesus plus circumcision. Then we won't be persecuted by Jews as a result. There's a kind of preaching of the gospel that is meant to um, simply escape suffering, like the health and wealth gospel. It's all about escaping suffering. It's not about escaping sin. Paul says the true gospel believes that Jesus lived the life we could never live. He died the death we deserve to die. He rose from the dead. And by his laying down his life for us and trusting in his life, laying down his life for us, 
we can be forgiven and we can enjoy eternal life and we can know that we've embraced his cross to be right with God when we take up our cross and follow him. That's why Jesus could say, you can't follow me unless you're willing to take up my cross, your cross, and die like I did. You don't die to earn your salvation, but you follow Christ by laying down your life. And that's not a real popular message to say, trust in what Christ has done for you and you'll be forgiven. And the life that should come out of that is a cross-like life, a life of laying down my life for other people. And so I say that because the kinds of things that Paul is talking about in Galatians 6 can't be understood and fully embraced unless we realize, okay, I am not saved by laying down my life. I'm saved by Christ laying down his life for me. But I, I can only become like Christ and I can only evidence that I am connected to Christ by actually laying down my life for others just like he laid down his life for me in a very real sense. Um, so what I want, to, want us to think about is, in light of what Paul says here, just very briefly, there's a lot in here and we don't have time to go over it all, over it all but I want to basically answer, let's see if this works, um, the question, what do we need to be, or excuse me, what do we need to be the church God calls us to be in light of what Paul simply says in this passage. Beck and AJ had a baby this week, and we rejoice over that, little Juniper. Um, I thought about the fact that um, when we went home with Emily, our first baby, we were thinking, they're letting us take this baby home. This is crazy. Don't they know that we're not prepared for this? And most parents probably feel that way. But it highlights the fact that there is a difference between having a baby and being a parent. A lot of people have babies, but they're not really ready to be a parent. In the same way, um, we can come to church and gather, but that's not the same thing as being a body and being the body of Christ that we're called to be. And it's important to make that distinction because we can sometimes think, well, as long as we're gathering and we're coming to church, then aren't we being everything God wants us to be? Well, the answer is no. Not any more than just having a baby and taking the baby home means you're doing everything you're supposed to do uh, to be a parent. And so as we look at what Paul says here just briefly, I want to highlight some things he says that remind us of what it looks like not only to call ourselves a church, but to be the church that God wants us to be. And again, it's not to say that none of these things aren't already happening. They are. But essentially that Paul would say, you know, you're loving each other, but I encourage you to excel even more. So that we're to continue to want to grow even more in the kinds of things that we may already be able to affirm that are a part of our Christian lives and a part of our church. The first thing I just want to highlight is, he says in verse 1, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that, so that you too will not be tempted. 
You who are spiritual, help those who find themselves in sin. The question is, what does it mean to be spiritual? Now, our kids made a video when they were younger um, after we received some goodies from a friend of ours in Texas named Beth. And they made this little commercial that was about Aunt Beth's Better Than You Baked Goodies. And the tagline for their commercial was, Why make it yourself when Aunt Beth can make it better than you? Sometimes we might think that the Christian life is the better than you people helping the lesser folk. And it was actually, um, some people think that in this situation in Galatia, that the spiritual might have been a title that some of the false teachers took on, who certainly thought that they were better than the people that they were preaching to. But the reality is, in order to be spiritual, you have to know that you're not better than the person you're trying to help. In one very, very real sense. Not that you're not more mature, because you might be, but that you're not someone who isn't desperately in need of the grace of God just like they are. We're not better than them in that sense. And so when we think about what does it mean to be spiritual, we could read back through chapter 5 where he's talking about walking by the Spirit. And in verse 5 he says, We through the Spirit, this is chapter 5, We through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. To be a spiritual person is to be someone who's relying on Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. That's where it starts, to be a spiritual person, because that's where the Holy Spirit has given you life, and you're trusting in Christ and Him alone. In verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes on to talk about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we could say that being led by the Spirit to fight sin and pursue Christ-likeness is what it means to be spiritual. So a spiritual person is someone who's actually depending on Christ and Christ alone for their salvation and someone who has a heart to fight sin and pursue Christ-likeness. It's kind of hard, hard to help someone else fight sin and pursue Christ-likeness if you're not fighting sin and pursuing Christ-likeness. And then he says in verse 25 and 26, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So that you could say because of the contrast Paul is making there that to walk by the Spirit is to pursue love. And to be spiritual is a person who's pursuing love. Uh, seeking to love that person. And that's highlighted by the fact that um, he says, restore people, deal with people who are in sin, caught in sin, with a spirit of gentleness. Um, There's a quote from Calvin along these lines that is just um, priceless when he comments on what it means to be a spiritual person who deals with other people's sin to try to help them with gentleness. He says, But hardly less injury is frequently done by unseasonable and excessive severity, which under the plausible name of zeal springs in many instances from pride and from dislike and contempt of the brethren. So what he's saying is, he started off by saying, you know what? 
um, there can be great damage done to people you're trying to help if you do it in the wrong way. You can do a lot of harm to people you're trying to help if you have a bad attitude. And that he's connecting that to pride and dislike of the brethren or contempt of the brethren. He says, most men seize on the faults of brethren as an occasion of insulting them and of using reproachful and cruel language. Were the pleasure they take in upbraiding equaled by their desire to produce amendment, they would act in a different manner. Basically saying, if you really cared about the person, uh, as much as you are eager to correct them, you would do it in a much different manner. He says, Consider no rebukes as partaking a religious and Christian character which do not breathe the spirit of meekness. That design will never be accomplished by violence or by a disposition to accuse or by fierceness of manner or language. No man is prepared for chastising a brother till he has succeeded in acquiring a gentle spirit. In correcting others, we should not ourselves commit sin. It's interesting when Paul says here, uh, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Some people understand that to mean when you're trying to help someone who's wrestling with a sin or has fallen into a sin, be careful that you don't fall into the same sin. Calvin actually takes the position when you're trying to help somebody in sin, make sure you don't sin as you do. Don't use sin as a weapon against their sin. Don't think that you're justified in sinning because you're trying to correct their sin. I think both are probably in view. We definitely want to be on guard that we're not going to be led into the same kind of thing depending on what they're involved in. But there's no doubt that when he talks about a spirit of gentleness and walking by the Spirit, he's saying it is crucial that as you try to deal with other people's sins, that you're being careful that you're not falling into sin and trying to help them. And so he says we need to be spiritual in that way. Uh, secondly, there's so much more to say about that, but we don't have time. But secondly, in verse 2, he talks about the need not only to be spiritual, but to be about one another. He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If we had time, we could read through all kinds of one another commands in the New Testament. Um, there are all kinds of verses that talk about Uh, accepting one another, forgiving one another, serving one another, washing one another's feet. Uh, You can do your own study of all the verses that talk about one another, one another, one another in the body of Christ and what we're to do. I know JFK said at one time, um, don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. You might say, should we say, don't ask what your church can do for you, but ask what you can do for your church. I think Paul would say, Um, it's both. We should ask, what can our church do for us and what can we do for our church? Because it's a one another kind of reciprocal kind of relationship. To say one another means it goes both ways. It's not that some of us are helping everybody else because we don't need any help. It's that we are both um, helping one another at the same time and we all need uh, the help. Uh, It's interesting, in verse 2, there's a different um, 
wording from verse 5, but the word bear is used in both cases. He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, which is he called us to love each other just as he has loved us. And in verse 5 it says, for each one will bear his own load. The picture of bearing in verse 2 is bearing an extreme load. A load that you can't bear on your own. A load that God does not intend for you to bear on your own. That's why he put you in a family. That's why he put you in the body of Christ because he will give you things that are more than you can handle. The, the idea that God never gives us more than we can handle is only true if we qualify it greatly and say, by his grace. But we need to understand that that also means by the body that he gives grace through the body of Christ. And that's why Paul could say, what does it look like in the body to be the body? It's like what Dan led us in doing this morning. We're praying for one another. We're supporting each other when we're going through difficult times and have incredibly difficult circumstances to deal with. We are to come alongside one another and be there for each other. But in verse 5, it's talking about something different. It's talking about Uh, more the idea of bearing like a backpack. Everybody has a backpack to to carry along with them in the sense that everybody has responsibilities that other people aren't supposed to fulfill for them. Um, So there's two ways, just very briefly, that you can respond wrongly to the idea that we're all to bear one another's burdens. One response is to say, I don't need help, thank you. I'm good. That's the idea of verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you think you are in a place spiritually where you don't need the body of Christ to help you and to bear burdens together, then you're deceiving yourself. That's not true. So that's one wrong response to the idea of we need to bear one another's burdens together. The other wrong response is to say, well, great, I'll just see how many people I can employ to do everything I don't really want to do. I don't really want to work. I really don't want to care for my family. I just find other people in the church to do it for me. He's saying, no, everyone will bear their own load. And ultimately, he means everyone will give an account to God for what their responsibilities are. And so there is a proper way that we're to care for one another and love one another and help each other in the body of Christ, to be humbly dependent on one another and yet still responsible in the body of Christ. The third thing is that we're to sow to the Spirit. Um, Basically, this means I am to um, put my money, time, and effort into spiritual things, and especially the Word of God. If you read through this passage, there are various ways that Paul talks that he talks in such a way that money's definitely involved. That you can't really be invested in pursuing spiritual things without opening your wallet, is what he's saying. Because we put our money where our heart is. And one of those things should be, and a very important thing should be, um, investment in spiritual things. And yet it's also, it goes not simply money, but it's time and energy and effort. 
so that we take the time to make the most of Sundays. We take advantage of all the teaching that we can uh, through the, the body of Christ. We give time and effort into really seeking to grow and um, become all that God wants us to be. When I was in that little country church in Louisiana, they would talk about Sunday crops. And Sunday crops, they would say, were the crops that um, didn't do so well. And so if somebody had a bad crop, they said, oh, he must have planted that on Sunday. That's why it didn't do so well. And um, the idea is, why, why would we say, you know, we want you to come to church on Sunday and not be out there planting your corn? Why does God in the Old Testament actually tell the people of Israel, uh, take off the Sabbath, even during planting season and harvest season? Why does he say that? Because it will show you where your heart is. Are you trusting God for your provision? Are spiritual things really important to you? Or is it only material, earthly things? So Paul is encouraging us to be careful of what is really most important to us. When Paul talks about um, you know, sowing to your flesh in verse 8, um, some people take that not in terms of doing all the bad things you can do. That's one possibility. The other possibility is just doing really good things that just have to do with everyday life. It's not looking toward eternity. It's not concerned about eternity. It's just, I'm just trying to get by, just like everybody else, and just being consumed with everyday life and not being concerned about the future and what lies ahead. So, there's a sense in which you can be a worldly Christian or a worldly person by not being a wordly person. You're not valuing the word. You're not giving time and effort and energy to grow. And therefore, we're not planting what we need to plant. Paul says, God is not mocked. What you invest your life in, you're going to bear that fruit. And we just have to realize that God says that's true for everybody, Christian or not, that what we invest in is what's going to be coming out of our lives. The fourth thing is uh, we need to do good to the household of faith. Um, He tells us in verse 10, we're to do good to all people, but especially to those who are the household of faith and those are other believers, regardless of what their stripes are, regardless of whether or not they agree with all of our Reform doctrine, regardless of whether or not they're Calvinists or not. Regardless, we're to do good to the household of faith, which means to all those who are truly believers, even if we might have some doctrinal differences among us. And so, um, at this point, let me just do this. I need to wrap up very quickly here. How does this apply to... Um, And I'm going to come back to this last point as we close. How does this apply to what we've been going through and what has been happening um, in our body? When it says, uh, do good to the household of the faith and so to the spirit, um, our investment in Jackson coming on staff and his investment in Coast is a kind of sowing to the spirit. We're investing financially in the ministry of the word here. 
and we're investing in someone who has calling on his life. And so we're putting our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and supporting his ministry here. And it's passages like these that say this is a worthy investment. This is a good investment as we seek to grow as a church, is to invest in people for ministry. Um, provision for other churches. Um, the church that's coming in is going to be meeting here on Sunday nights. Is like the church that meets here at 1 o'clock. We do not match up doctrinally in every respect, but we believe they're part of the household of faith. And therefore, we believe it is proper, according to scriptures like this, that we provide, we do good to those who are of the household of faith. They're real believers, even though they may not be reformed, may not, may not agree with us on all our doctrines, but we believe we are fulfilling scripture and honoring Christ by recognizing that they are a part of the body of Christ, and we're helping them in that way. The emphasis on small groups, you know, why are we giving a greater emphasis to that? We've done small groups in different ways over the years, and, and we're actually wanting to strengthen uh, these small groups and have more people involved in small groups. And why is that? Well, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens. Have we been doing that already? Yes. Uh, have we been doing it um, well in certain aspects? Yeah, I think in certain ways we have. Does it mean that um, we're doing it as well as we can? No, I don't think so. Does it mean that we can't do a better job of caring for one another, have a, do a better job of making sure that people aren't on the fringe, do a better job of really knowing what's going on in each other's lives and being able to pray and support one another? Yes, I think we can do a better job of that. And I think we can utilize the small groups to care for one another in greater ways than we already have in the past. And then finally, the emphasis on biblical counseling. Why are we doing that? Um, it's another way of emphasizing that we need to sow to the Spirit. I think it's very important that we recognize that he starts out in verse 6 by talking about those who teach the Word. And it's in the context of the teaching of the Word that he talks about the importance of sowing to the Spirit. And therefore, we want to do all that we can to make sure that the this, this, um, Word of God is being um, embraced by us, uh, uh, that we're uh, coming to understand the Word of God in deeper, richer ways, and are, are being better equipped to minister to one another with God's Word. Well, the last thing, and I need to wrap up here, is the last thing that Paul says is that we need to make sure that we're not doing any of this because we're trying to earn anything. That our boast is in Christ and Christ alone. That we are depending on Christ and what he's done for us for our acceptance with God. And yet he could say, and that's in verse 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? That the cross of Christ and my trust in the cross of Christ causes me to be crucified to the world. It means I'm no longer looking to the things of this world for the help I need or the happiness I long for. I'm looking to God for that through Christ 
and through the means he's provided. And what means has he provided? He's provided his word and he's provided the body of Christ. And that's what we see Paul emphasizing in this passage about walking by the Spirit. He emphasizes the body of Christ and the word of Christ. And therefore, I am to die to looking to the world for everything that I think I need or desire and realize it's going to come from God through Christ by his Spirit as he ministers that through his word in the body of Christ. There's no doubt that any time we start new things, there are going to be growing pains. But one thing that I've realized is growth is change. You don't grow without changing. That's what growth is. It's change. And change can be painful. It can be uncomfortable. It can be uncertain. It can be slow. Uh, But growth and the change that it brings is necessary and worth it. And so let me encourage you, if there's anything in you that resists um, being involved in various ways, just ask yourself why. Now, it might be that you're providentially hindered. There might be good reasons why you're not being involved in various things. But there, there may not be some good reasons that you're relying on that, that keep you from being involved. And my encouragement to you and our encouragement to you as your pastors is make sure your response to all that's going on in our body is a response to Christ and what he's calling us to and not simply a response to, oh, that's just the idea of the elders or that's just something they're doing. But ask yourself, could this really be the way God wants me to flesh out my life? how he wants me to pursue greater love for him and greater love for others, could what we're actually doing be something I ought to be a part of? And if I'm not, why not? Let's pray. Father, just thank you so much that you've called us to pursue you and to pursue our happiness in you and that you've provided what we need in Christ that we might be forgiven of our sins and enjoy eternal life and that you've called us to live our lives in such a way that we lay down our lives for your sake and for the gospel and and for one another. And I pray that as we seek to grow as a body in love for you and in love for each other, as we seek to flesh out what that looks like in our own church in light of what your word says, I pray that that we would, um, all of us, leaders as well as the rest of us, Father, that we would all be humble, open, and teachable and and seek to uh, live our lives in a way that pleases you, that we might grow in our heart for you, in our heart for each other, as well as in our heart for a lost and needy world around us. We just thank you, Father, for the encouragement of your word. Help us to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.